As I mentioned earlier, we are entering into the season of Advent. Advent is a season that the church throughout history has celebrated to prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. It's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it does two things. It looks back to Jesus' first coming, and it looks forward to His second coming. It's a time of expectation, so you heard in the readings earlier today this, this time of when He returns again, and that's a part of it even as we celebrate His first coming. But in part of that, what we're doing is recognizing the gift that God has given us in Jesus, the gift that He's given, and so we do that in different ways. We light candles as a reminder that Jesus came as light into the darkness. And so each Sunday, we light another candle until on Christmas, we have all the candles lit, a reminder of the light of Jesus Christ coming into the world. And gift is an appropriate theme because we have been looking over the last number of weeks at Paul's letter to the Romans. So Paul was this earlier follower of Jesus who traveled around the Mediterranean starting churches and encouraging and reaching out to different churches. And one church was a church in Rome. He hadn't started that church but he was familiar with that church, and so he sends a letter to them, which we know is the letter to the Romans, to encourage them, to help them because they're in a time of division, of, of going back and forth with one another, but also to help them understand what this gospel, what this good news is that God has given to us and how that can help us live it out. And so we're starting into chapter 6 of Romans, so in the first five chapters, he's laid out this picture of the condition we're in, of people being trapped in the power of sin We've talked about sins and sins, so sins are these individual acts, but sin is a power that has control over us. And so the first three chapters really spell out this, but then it begins to introduce what this gospel, this good news of Jesus looks like, what God has done in Jesus, this power of the gospel to begin to set us free or to to justify us, and justification as not only a declaration that we're innocent, but a deliverance from the power of sin. And so we've been justified in Jesus Christ, and he paints that. And so in chapter 5, he begins to then spell out these two ways of living, that we go from death to life. And so last week, we looked at the picture of Adam, the first man, and how he brings in him was death in this individual act. But in Jesus, we find life and the power of how much grace is so much greater than that. So whatever these power, whatever sin looks like, whatever death looks like, that what God does is so much greater. And so today we're entering into chapter 6, this picture, and we're going to just look at the first half of chapter 6, the first 14 verses, and there's a lot that goes on in this chapter. And as we've been going through the book of Romans, that's what a part of what I've said is we're not going to have time to cover every little verse and every nuance and explore everything, but we want to try and get the big picture. So I want us to look at Romans chapter 6. And so beginning at verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that may grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in sin any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. 
because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace." And so you can see there's a whole lot that goes on in this passage, all kinds of things. But he starts off with this picture of this question of last week, we talked about how God's grace comes in times of sin. And grace is in some ways a response to sin, it's something else, but it's so much greater. And so Paul raises this question of, if God's grace is displayed when I sin, and God's grace is this incredible gift, then shouldn't we sin more? Because if we're sinning more there's going to be more grace. It's kind of like a reverse Santa Claus is kind of how I think about it. I mean, with Santa Claus, like the idea is like the better we are, the more gifts we get, right? But here people are thinking, well, but when I'm really bad, God's grace, His gift, it's bigger and bigger. So if we want to see how big God's gift is, how big God's grace, let's sin some more, right? And Paul says, no. No, he says, by no means. And I'm guessing that means something a little stronger than that. Like, no way, dude. This is not how it works. He said, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And he begins to paint this picture of our union with Jesus Christ, that we're united to Jesus Christ. And he goes on, and this union means new life, and he talks about it over the next few chapters. And so we're going to be looking at it all the way up to Christmas, of what this new life in Jesus looks like. And it says we're dead to sin. We're no longer slaves. But it doesn't feel like that sometimes, does it? And that's an important idea. Once you think in the back of the it doesn't feel like that. But we're struggling with this reality of what does it look like to move from the reign of sin to the reign of grace? How do we do that? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this week, because how do we begin to make this move that Paul has talked about, moving from the reign of sin to the reign of grace? How do we live into this new life? How do we experience what he's talking about being here, about being dead to sin and alive in Christ? And he begins by saying this in verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so it begins with this picture of baptism. You see, if you've come on a regular basis, you might be wondering, why, why do we have the baptismal font out? No, no babies being baptized today, nothing going on today. We have another baptismal that's kind of hid behind back there. But it's a reminder of the centrality of baptism in the Christian life. We have baptism as the entrance, entrance into the Christian life, and then the table, communion as this ongoing experience of Jesus. But baptism is is an immersion. And so we think about 
Baptism, to be baptized into Christ, is to be immersed into the Messiah. It's this joining with Him. But listen to the way Paul says it. We were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him. He's saying that when Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago and was placed in a tomb, we were there with Him, which is kind of hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? But it's this participation, a union with Jesus saying, we enter into that, that this story, if we believe this story is true, and I do, that Jesus Christ died and was buried and raised again, that this truth is a story, not just a a fictional story, but a real story, and we're invited to enter into that story to become a part of that story. And that's what baptism does, and baptism is kind of this parallel, this signifier of justification, of faith, of all these things all kind of wrapped together. And it's saying His story is our story. That when we see Jesus, He dies and He dies to sin and He's raised again. That's our story when we put our faith in Him. It's not just a story about Jesus, but it's our story. And He's saying there's death. He says, we therefore were buried with Him. This is verse 4. We therefore were buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised, so just as Jesus died on a cross, was placed in a tomb for three days, and then was raised from the dead, he said, just as Christ was raised from the dead, now we're thinking, well, we're raised too at the end of time, and we're raised resurrected, but he doesn't say this. He says, we were raised through the glory of heaven, so that we too may live a new life. In other words, resurrection is not simply something future. Resurrection is something that happens in the future. But he's saying we're raised right now to a new life. When we've put our faith in Christ, when we've put our trust in Him, when we've given Him our allegiance, we die with Him and we're raised with Him, and that resurrection is right now. I'm looking out at a bunch of resurrected and raised people. And he's saying this is what it looks like. And he goes on and he talks about it as slavery. And slavery evokes one of the big stories in the Bible, the story in the book of Exodus, the story of God's people. So God's people, the nation of Israel, has been enslaved by Egypt. And they're living as slaves in Egypt, waking up each and every day to make bricks and to work all day in the hot sun to go to bed and go back into that same cycle again. And they go back and life continually gets more difficult as the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, first makes the brick-making more difficult, and then tries to kill their sons. And then God sends Moses to begin to set them free. And Moses comes and through these acts of the power of God, brings the people out of slavery in Egypt. And they go through the Red Sea, which is, Paul describes in other places, is a baptism of sorts. And so they enter it, and he's taking them to this new land. But one of the things that if you read those stories in the Bible The people of God are rescued. They see all these great acts of God, and they get out of slavery, and they're on their way to this land of promise. They're on this way to this new place. They are free, but then they begin to say, we liked it better back in Egypt. Can we go back there when things get hard? They're wanting to go back to that. You think, why would you want to go back to that old life? Why would you want to go back to that? And part of it is they've been caught up in it. They've ingrained, their patterns have been, just as we sometimes, we get ingrained in patterns of living. And we think we're free, and then we fall back into those old patterns. For any of us, any of you who've tried to start a new habit, or maybe break an old habit, 
You think, oh, I've got it now. You're like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stop watching TV late at night. And you go like three, four days and you're doing real, and then all of a sudden like, oh, but that show's on. And you go back to that old life. Or whatever that power is, and it can be something worse than that. It can be whatever it is, but we have this tendency. We want to live that new life, but there's that old life that's still inside of us, that's still that has this power over us. And I've heard it described this way a number of times, that God got the people out of Egypt, but now He get, needs to get Egypt out of the people. And that's what Paul is describing here is we are set free. We have been set free, but now we need to get this out of us. And what he's, Paul is encouraging us to do is to remember our identity as new people who are dead to sin. That we have Jesus inside of us and we are in Him. He says, for we know that since Christ was raised from the He cannot die again. He says, death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. And he's talking about us living that same life. And so we say, well, we ask this question then, why do we go back to those old ways? Because I don't think I'm alone in that, of that feeling of, I believe this, I've given my allegiance to Jesus, I've put my faith in Him, I've put my trust in Him, and I read this, and Paul says, you're dead to sin. And then I ask myself, then why do I keep going back to it? Why do I keep going back to that? And that's something we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks again and again, but this idea of part of what we're doing is, when we sin, we give it power it no longer had. We're going back to Egypt. We're trying to live as if God didn't exist. But what Paul wants us to see here is we can be different because we are different. You think, well, how, how can I live the life that God is calling me to do? One of the ways is to remember we are different. We have been changed he says, don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ? We're baptized into His death. He says this, for if you, we had been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him. This isn't like, well, it might be. He said, now if we died, we live with Him. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. He's saying you are dead to sin. You are free from this mastery. So now begin to live in it. And that's why I said earlier, sometimes we don't feel that way. But Paul isn't asking about how we feel at the moment. What he's inviting us to do is to remember the truth and the reality that we are free. We're called to remember that we are different because we are different and we can be different. He describes this reality. It says, now, be different. He's saying we will be different because we can be different. When we have the hope to be different, we think, well, what hope do I have? Because when we're caught up in some sort of power, we feel like it's having control of us. How can we ever break free of it? We can break free because the power of God is at work in us. Way back in the first chapter, when, God, when Paul describes the gospel, the good news, he talks about it's the power of God. And it's at work in us that Christ lives in us and we live in Him. It's the power of grace, the power of the gospel. It's a new life that comes from that power that's living inside of us. And so as we look at our lives sometimes, 
We feel like I'm caught up and I just can't seem to break free. One of the first steps to take is to remember that we have been set free. We're not living in Egypt anymore. We no longer have to obey those things. But Paul doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't leave us there and say, well, just remember who you are. But instead, he begins to give us a way to begin to think about it differently. And so in the final few verses, at verse 11, he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. But then in verse 13, he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument or a weapon of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument or a weapon of righteousness and goodness. So just as Christ lives His life to God, we are called to live life to God. And so what does that look like? And I think this is where we begin to see this. How do we begin to get, live into this reality? How do we begin to deal with it? And what He's saying is we offer ourselves as instruments, or I like some translations, weapons of righteousness. He says, don't offer yourself as an instrument of wickedness anymore, but instead offer yourself as an instrument of goodness. Now, sometimes we think of it as like, we just got to try harder. Trying harder works for a little while when it comes to those cycles and this power of sin. We can do it for a while. But what Paul is inviting us to do here is to offer ourselves to God and to begin to experience the life that God has given us, this process of spiritual transformation, of spiritual formation, of begin to live in the power that God has given to us. And so what he's inviting, what he's picturing for us is to say, now begin to live that new life by offering yourself. In offering, you do what? You open your hands. Open your hands to receive from God. And so what, one way to think of that is to say, he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but instead offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. One of the things we sometimes do in life in general, but in spiritual life, is we try and do it all at once. We come to that moment of time, may not even be January 1st, but some moment of time we're like, oh, I'm just not living the life I'm supposed to live. I've got all these things going on, and we try and fix them all at once. It's not unlike if you own a house. And if you own a house, you realize there are things that break in your house sometimes. If you have a house that things don't break in, I want to buy it. <laughs> but the reality is, if you have a house or you own a car, you own just about anything, there are things that break. And in a house, often we find there's a whole bunch of things that need work. A whole bunch of things... And sometimes there's that time where we wake up on a Monday morning or maybe we wake up on Saturday morning and we look and we say, I'm going to get all these things done. And you make that list of the 39 projects you are going to get done on Saturday. <laughs> I'm going to clean the garage. I'm going to fix the basement. I'm going to put that new roof on the house. I'm going to clean out the chimney. I'm going... If you have a list of 39, my experience is typically by the end of Saturday, you have a list of 43. The list hasn't gotten any shorter. Actually, you found more things to work on. And sometimes what I find myself doing is I start a one, and then I run over to this one, and then I go to that, and I don't get it. 
And sometimes we do the same thing in the spiritual life. We look and we, we have this big list of all these things we want to work on. All these challenges and trials and troubles we're facing that we go, well, I've got this anger issue over here and I've got this thing here and then I do this thing over here and there's this issue and, and it goes on. And, we, and, and sometimes we, we wake up on Sunday morning and we say, I'm going to be a perfect Jesus person today. And what Paul, I think, writes here and what Jesus... And what people have learned over the years of following Jesus is, take it a little bit at a time. Take it one step at a time and begin to do that. And Paul certainly says, offer every part of yourself to Him. But I would suggest one way we do that is to begin to focus on one area of our life. Pick one thing. And when you pick that one thing... What I would suggest is, maybe it's not the first thing that you think of, but the new life you live is a new life that God has given you, and God is bringing about the transformation. So to my mind, God is the, probably the one who knows best what needs changing in your life more than you do. For a number of years, I saw a spiritual director, somebody who helped me walk through my spiritual life and examine what God was doing in my life. And this was the thing that uh, Brother Michael often talked to me about. He says, because sometimes I would come to him and I would say, here's this thing that's really going on, and I, what do I need to do to fix that? And he would stop and he would say, is that what God wants to fix right now? Is that what God wants to work on right now? Because I had a habit of trying to get ahead of God. I had a habit of looking at myself and saying, this is what I need to work on right now. And what I would suggest to you is that God knows all of those things about you, and sometimes there's some other area of our life that needs work first. It may not be the most apparent, it may not even be what we see as the most glaring or, or the most obvious, it may not even be the one that other people see as the most glaring and obvious. But there's some place that God wants to start work on us. And so as we begin this process of living this new life, of breaking free of the power of sin, of not breaking free of the power of sin, but living this new life in which we are free from the power of sin, if we want to begin living that new life, begin it by having a conversation with the God who set you free. Begin by having a conversation with God and say, okay, God, what, where is Egypt still alive in me? Where am I running back to? And God, I need your help to work on that. And then what he says is offer yourself as an instrument, as a weapon of righteousness. And this is how the spiritual life works is when we are in the spiritual life, when we are in this process of growing, we can do certain things. We cannot change ourselves on our own, but we can offer ourselves up to God for God to do the work. We can do practices, we can read our Bible, we can pray, we can fast, we can, we can give, we can do all sorts of things. And those are an offering up to God as an instrument of righteousness. We do this thing so that we're opened up to the God Word. So, this is what it might look like. You spend some time having these conversations with God, which is what we call praying, talking to God about, what is it in my life, God, that you want to work on? Where? Am I running back to my life of sin? Where am I letting sin take mastery where it shouldn't? What am I doing in my life, God? 
And as God has this conversation, you have this sense of what it is. You say, okay, God, now I'm going to begin to offer that up, not as an instrument of wickedness, but as an instrument of righteousness. And so we think, okay, what might that be? Imagine that as you're having this conversation with God, God says, the thing I want you to work on is that tongue of yours the way you use it to put people down. And so now we think about our tongues and how we can hurt people with them, with the things we say and things we do. And now what Paul says is he says here, he says, offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness. So now what you begin to do is you say, I'm going to choose to begin to use my tongue for good. Maybe to find ways to say, okay, I'm going to do this practice of saying, like, I'm going to compliment at least three people today. I'm going to say something good to people. And what we do as we do these things is we're opening ourselves up to the work of God. We in ourselves can't change those things that are going inside, but as we begin to say and do those things, we're opening ourselves up to the work of God's Spirit inside of us to change and to transform us. Or maybe... The thing that God talks to us about is the use of our time, because we can use our time to do all sorts of things, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes frivolous, all kinds of opportunities to use our time, and that's a part of who we are. When He says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin, we can use our time to to waste it away, but He says, now begin to offer that up. So we begin to offer up our time in a different way. We begin to offer up our money in a different way. And as we begin to do that, we're presenting ourselves. We're not trying harder. We're offering ourselves up, and not through our striving, but we then receive the gift. And this is the language that Paul uses again and again in, in the letter to the Romans. We said sometimes described as grace, sometimes as gift. It's, that's what it is, is the life, this new life we have is a gift, but the transformed life is also a gift. And so we begin to live into this new life. We begin to say, I have been set free. We recognize that truth, that identity. I have been set free. And then we begin to say, now I'm going to offer myself and I'm going to begin to live in that way. I'm going to offer myself up and we're going to just continue to see God work inside of our lives to transform us to become the kind of people who don't even want to live that way. And God works to take the Egypt, to take that sin, that old way out of us. We are new people in Jesus Christ. We don't always feel that way. It doesn't seem that way. People don't see us that way. We don't see ourselves that way. But we are new people in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. We were baptized into Jesus Christ. We were baptized into His death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so what Paul wants us here is, you are free from sin, church. may not feel like it sometimes, but God is at work bringing it out in you as we offer ourselves 
as an instrument of righteousness. We are a new people. We are set free. So let us remember that this week. Let us remember our baptism. Remember that we have died to sin and are a new people. Remember and be thankful. Amen.